Working on less of a shriekwell and, and more of a scream make. Copyrighted terms, by the way. Because all there are now are remakes. Only horror the studio's green light. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 161. Here's a Boo Crew Fright Fact. In 2018's Hellfest, most of the decorations used in the production were borrowed from Six Flags Over Georgia's Fright Fest. This time around, you are joined by phenomenal actor Rory Culkin. At time of release, his new project, 13 Steps to Hell. Also starring Lulu Wilson, part of Sam Raimi's 50 States of Friday anthology series, exclusively on the Quibi streaming service, is available now. And you know what? For a free 14-day trial, hit up Quibi.com. That's Q-U-I-B-I.com. Each episode explores stories based on urban legends from every state, taking viewers into the horrors that lurk just beneath. Delve into the project with with Rory as he talks about working on it with director Lee Cronin, who is set to bring us a new Evil Dead film, Evil Dead Rise. We talk all about his experience in M. Night Shyamalan's Signs, Scream 4. With spoilers, by the way, heads up, transforming into Euronymous for Jonas Ackerland's award-winning Lords of Chaos, and much more. Episode 161 starts now. I don't want to freak you out by talking about this. But growing up, we heard lots of stories. Kids make things up all the time just to spook each other. Ooh, so mysterious. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a phenomenal award-winning actor who has appeared in everything from M. Night Shyamalan's Brilliant Signs, The Twilight Zone, the Cannes-nominated and wonderful film Mean Creek in 2004, Alexander Buckley's The Zodiac, The Night Listener with the great Robin Williams, he played Charlie Walker in Wes Craven's Scream 4, starred in the tremendous Bullethead in 2017 alongside Adrian Brody, John Malkovich, and Antonio Banderas, the Emmy-nominated miniseries Waco, the Emmy-nominated series Castle Rock, starred in Jonas Ackerland's Lords of Chaos, winning him Best Actor in a nomination at Sitkiss, and more. He has taken direction from the most influential and thought-provoking storytellers in history, and it makes perfect sense why the thing they all have in common is that they have chosen him to tell their stories. To every performance, he brings a compelling dedication to the material that is an inspiration to watch, and his exciting career choices really serves as a guide to immersing yourself in passionate, transformative experiences as a viewer. He's here to discuss his new project. He stars in a short film for Sam Raimi's 50 States of Fright, available exclusively on the new Quibi mobile streaming platform. What an honor to welcome Mr. Rory Culkin. Wow. Thank you for having me. That was quite flattering. I'm blushing. Well, much deserved. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And congrats on this new and, and very different project for you. You've definitely been a part of some tremendous horror and genre-centric projects over the years. What is your personal relationship with horror as a viewer? Would you consider yourself a fan at all? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm the youngest of seven, so my older siblings were always showing me horror movies when I was probably too young to be seeing them. So I sort of grew up with it, and uh, 
I'd like to think I'm not desensitized to it, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just been a big part of big part of my life. What would you say are some of the earliest memories you have of being affected by particular horror films? Uh, there's one that stands out and I'm thinking about it is, uh, I've seen Poltergeist when I was a little too young and I, I don't even remember what, I haven't seen it since actually since I was five or whatever, but, uh, I just remember crying in my sister's arms uh, <laughs> while my older brothers were laughing and my sister being the only one to uh, take pity on me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is definitely quite a memorable experience. Before we get yeah. into the new experience you're part of with Quibi, I want to go back to one of your earliest forays into genre as an actor, and that would be 2002's Signs playing Morgan Hess. You're incredibly young in that role. What do you recall about the energy that surrounded that set with M. Knight, who had just come off massive successes with Unbreakable and The Sixth Sense, if you remember anything at that age. Yeah, I remember uh, there was just a lot of mystery surrounding the project, even when I arrived on set. You know, I didn't get the full ending of the script. I just remember learning it at the table read, and uh, the whole like climax with the alien and, and all that was sort of new to me once I got there. And then I remember asking uh, Knight, at the time, who I think was only like 29 when we were shooting that, asking him about the alien, and I referred to the alien as uh, he, and he corrected me and said she. And I said, it's female. He goes, yeah, yeah, it's female. And I don't know, I just remember being like, you could rarely get these uh, these like slivers of, of uh, answers. And it was sort of, uh, I don't know, you were sort of too afraid to ask questions because M. Night was, he was so new and, and we didn't really know there was a lot of mystery surrounding him and the project at the time. And, and you would just get little snippets of, of his ideas. And so I remember that. I remember that being really interesting. There is that unforgettable scene at the dining room table that has such an intense emotional arc. And, and that's an amazing centerpiece of the film. What do you remember about that day and the process of going to that place? As you're, you're such an important part of that scene. Oh, thanks. Uh, I remember it was... We we were all talking about uh, whose coverage we were going to do first. I remember Knight asked us who wants to go first, and nobody wanted to go first. I remember Joaquin pointing to me, Joaquin Phoenix, and then <laughs> I pointed to little Abigail. <laughs> I pointed to Abigail Breslin, and then she was like, she was like five and four or five when we were shooting, and she said, "I want to go first. Like, I'll I'll go first. And then she just like cried her eyes out and really just shook the room, and uh, and now none of us wanted to go second. And I don't know, she just sort of set the tone, I remember, uh, sort of broke all of our hearts, and then we all just sort of followed her her path. Yeah, I was curious, in that scene, was um, the way it played out, was most of that scripted, or did you guys like go off script and, you know, act impromptu for that moment? I remember, I, I'm pretty sure it was it was scripted, but, I mean, once a little kid just starts bawling and won't stop, it's like... I don't know. It's easy to feed off that energy, especially the closer you are to her age. I was maybe 10 or 11. Uh, And then, you know, Joaquin followed. I think he was 26 at the time. So we just became a bunch of blubbering kids. Jumping ahead to Scream 4, the last film that the late, great Wes Craven directed. Can you talk about your experience on the film and getting the chance to work with Wes? Yeah, that was really interesting. That was another project I... uh, I didn't get the ending of the script when I first got the script. Um, I had to go into the office to, to get the, the first 15 pages and the last 15 pages of the script. 
and then I got to, you know, learn that I was the killer and I got the role of the killer. And that was a pretty big deal for me. Uh, <laughs> and then as far as working with Wes, you know, he was, yeah, it was his last film and he was, you know, he was older at the time. And, and that was another one. It was sort of, I think a lot of people were sort of nervous to ask him too many questions. They were sort of, I think he was sort of intimidating without meaning to be just because he's Wes Craven and we're a bunch of 20 year olds. So I remember I, before we shot the, the climax, the sort of reveal of me and, and, and Jill or Emma Roberts being the killers, um, I wanted to talk to him. And so I remember scheduling a meeting with him. I thought that was the best way to do it. I mean, he would have been open to any discussion on the spot, but I wanted to sort of, I wanted to be penciled in. So he set some time aside for me. And I remember they brought me to his trailer and there was a, you know, a production assistant sort of standing guard outside and they let me in his trailer. And it felt like I was entering like Caesar's tent or something. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, he very calmly, nicely sort of weighed me over and I, I sat across from him and he, he was like, he had a question for me. And I, I just sort of said, uh, I mean, yeah, why am I, why am I doing this? Why am I killing these people? And, you know, cause I, the other, the previous green films, the killers were, I think they're all great, but there was this, uh, there was this thing that they did where they would just do it came down to because I'm crazy. That's why, because I'm crazy. And I just didn't want to replicate that. I wanted to do something different. And, uh, I was sort of leaning towards the remorseful killer. I wanted to be conflicted the whole time. I thought that'd be interesting. And so when I asked Wes, why am I doing this? He said, well, you're doing it for her. And, uh, you know, you're not, you're not a killer in your eyes. He goes, you're putting on a uniform. He said, when, when military men, you know, have to do a job and have to kill people, they're w wearing a uniform and they're being ordered to, and they're not murderers. He said, just put on your uniform, just put the mask on and you're in your uniform. And it just sort of made a lot of sense to me. And, uh, and that's sort of all I needed. And, uh, yeah, so he was he was great. He was great. I don't know. That was a long-winded way of saying Wes Craven was great. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great to get that kind of perspective of your role. A lot of people, fans of the franchise, including ourselves, would say that your portrayal of Ghostface is probably the most vicious out of all the Scream films, including the viciousness of the kills itself. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I, I was, you know, I think I was twenty. I turned twenty-one while we were shooting that, and. Um, so I was still sort of figuring myself out. And, uh, I remember just really torturing myself during shooting. Uh, I remember, you know, sort of slapping myself around and stuff before takes and, and, uh, sort of making myself the, like, I remember I sort of rung my own bell accidentally. I hit myself too hard in the face once and, um, got dizzy. And, uh, I don't know. It was a weird one. It was, <laughs> it was yeah, it was a weird one. So Scream has four installments, and I think it's the only horror franchise to have its main characters and director return for all of them. What do you think makes Scream so special that everybody wanted to come back? Interesting. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm just sort of the the later installments. So I wouldn't really know, uh, you know, Nev Campbell's uh, motivation or anything or, or Arquette or, or Courtney Cox, but... Um, I don't know. I was really hoping that I was going to kill one of them, though. <laughs> uh, so that bummed me out. 
Did you end up keeping anything as a souvenir from this, your time on Scream? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I have the ghost face mask with Wes Craven's signature on the forehead. Oh, that's awesome. That's oh, so that's cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, pretty neat. The Boo Crew will be right back. There is the world you live in, and there is the other world. The one you don't dare think about. The world of total unholy terror. Soon you will know that world. You are about to receive the deadly blessing. And no strength on earth will protect you. Deadly blessing. Pray you're not blessed. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parents. Twenty seventeen's Bullethead for Paul Soleil, who also did the horror film Grace and directed one of the shorts on Tales of Halloween. Another outstanding performance from you. There's a heartbreaking monologue you deliver about your childhood dog. That is again one of the most memorable moments from that film. Take us back to that shot. That was a weird one. We shot that in um in Bulgaria and I was just coming off of uh a film called Lords of Chaos. So I went straight from that set to to the bullet hit set. And um, so I was, I, I was still coming down from this other character while trying to make sense of this new character. And uh, I don't know, my mind was sort of scrambled. And and, and then uh, this story about, you know, this, this boy's dog, and it's just so heartbreaking. And, and I don't know. that Honestly, that was like sort of my, my head was in all different directions doing that. And uh, then thinking about a puppy, it just sort of centered everything and it um, made a lot of sense at the time. I don't know. I got to rewatch that movie. Yeah. I don't remember how it turned out. <laughs> that was, it was a beautiful and heart wrenching moment. And let's talk a little bit about Jonas Ockerlin's Lords of chaos 2018. It's a beautifully difficult film to watch, but also mesmerizing at the same time. And you play Euronymous, who's, the real life central figure in a true crime story about the history of the Norwegian black metal scene. How deep into that rabbit hole did you go with your research into the story and that character? Yeah, I went deep for Lords of Chaos. I was, uh, I was attached to that, that movie for, I think four years before we ended up shooting it. So I was, I was, I had a lot of time to study and that was, I don't know. There's just so many layers to that. So many interesting elements to that you know i wish you had more time i wish it was a a series so we could really dive in deeper but um yeah that was just a crazy yeah like you said a crazy true crime story that's that's hard to make sense of when you would get yourself into the euronymous character was that a dark process for you was it hard to come out of yeah well that you know i sort of learned my lesson from scream when I was torturing myself. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I need to be doing that all the time. Uh, and then with Lords of chaos, it was more about, um, you know, the character of Euronymous had this, this large ego and he was, you know, he was the leader of the band. And, uh, so that was more less torturing myself, more, uh, hyping myself up and, and, you know, um, convincing myself that I'm better than I am, you know, and, and, you know, I would, before I would, I would go off to work in the morning. I'd be in the hotel and some movie would be playing on the TV in the background. And I would just 
I would look at the actors and just in my mind think these actors are horrible. Even if they were great actors and it was a great movie playing, it was just, I'm the best. Everyone else sucks. Uh, <laughs> and it was sort of the attitude I, I, I decided to go with and uh, it carried over for a few weeks, even after shooting. And then, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a weird one because I had this big ego that I gave myself and then I went right into the bullet head that with John Malkovich and Adrian Brody right. you can't really have an ego around those guys. <laughs> right. so, uh, so that's why it was so like mind boggling is I, I went from, you know, the, the class senior to a freshman really quick. And um, so, yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird time, but it was, you know, I'm really happy with those, those two projects in particular uh, Lords of chaos, because I, you know, I put a lot, of, a lot of time into that. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I just wish I really missed that character and wish I could do more of that. The musical performance aspects of that film are incredibly realistic and on point. Was that an illusion or did you actually like, are you a guitar player? Did you have to do any training to do that? Was it or were the musical performances actually done live on set? How, how did that work? Yeah, well, we had playback, but then but I, uh, you know, I learned he had us learn I think 11 or 12 songs. But I sort of, I would learn the first 40 seconds of a song and then I would just have to fake it because I didn't have the, the bandwidth to, to learn all of that. And um, well, it's incredibly like intricate music too, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it, but it, it's hard to tell, you know, because sometimes people are just, it looks like they're just slamming their instruments and it doesn't look, you know, it's, so it, you can fake it. It was sort of, I was weighing that as like, is it easier to learn these things or just learned the choreography without actually uh, hitting the notes. And it was something sort of figuring out as we went along and the director, Jonas Ackerland uh, would, would change his mind sometimes. So we would, he would throw us a new song after we, after we had learned a, a different song. And so, I don't know, it, it, it ended up looking all right, I think. And yeah, I'm pretty, pretty happy with it. Now, what has your experience been like with fans of the black metal genre, as far as, you know, the acceptance of the film and, and their reaction to it. Yeah, it's funny. It seems pretty split. I mean, everyone I've seen in person has been, has been into it. There is a, uh, sort of this, this, uh, online group that really hates it, but, but that was, that's sort of interesting. What's interesting about the, the genre and the culture, I think is those types of, uh, divides, you know, people who, who, who know that it's a, a, a fun genre to get into and then people who take it way too seriously. And that's sort of what makes it interesting. And, and I think that this band mayhem that burned down churches and would mutilate themselves on stage. I think these, uh, they did that for promotional reasons, but they they still have fans that think they did that because they were, you know, pagans or, or Satanists or, you know, they think it was more ideological where I think it was more, uh, promotion and, and mischief but who who knows and i think that's why it's a story worth telling and, and i think it's i think it's fascinating let's get into this new project so it's a short film on quibi so first of all what could you tell us about what quibi is quibi is a new uh you know it's a new streaming service it's all built for cell phones and it's it's 10 minute episodes and um yeah i mean there's different approaches to the, the new platform. And I think some, some directors and producers are treating it like um, a TV series with shorter episodes. Some are treating it like a, a film broken up into chapters. 
and I don't know, just a really interesting platform that's being played around with. And I just wanted to jump on board. What can you tell us about your episode? Yeah, my, my project, it's uh, 50 States of Fright, the horror anthology series produced by Sam Raimi. He directed a few episodes, I believe, as well. But my episode is Washington State, and it's um, I was called to be the, uh, the on-screen narrator. When, when I got the call for this project, it was, uh, you know, I was explained what this, this new Quibi platform is and that Sam Raimi has a, has a project and, uh, they would like you to be the, the on-screen narrator for an episode. And I was like, cool, what's, what's it about? And they said, well, it's a group of kids are in, in a cemetery and they find a stairway to hell. And that was all I needed to hear. Uh, <laughs> and so I was totally in before I even read it. That is awesome. And who, who directed your episode? His name is Lee Cronin. He's a, he's an Irish director. He did a, a film called uh, Hole in the Ground. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. That's an awesome movie. Yeah, I thought it was great, too. Um, yeah, he directed this episode. And he's he's great to work with. And yeah, I'd like to work with him again. So what is on the horizon for you after this project is released? What's in the tank? I have another project on Quibi coming out later this year, uh, directed by Mary Heron. She directed uh, American Psycho. and. Uh, yeah, that's sort of when I was talking about the different ways that directors are, are using this new platform, this Quibi. We sort of shot that like a feature film, and that's just broken up into chapters. So that should be interesting. It stars Anna Sophia Robb. I also saw that you have a new horror movie called The Last Thing Mary Saw. Is that coming out soon? That's right. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for reminding me. Um, we have a project called The Last Thing Mary Saw. It takes place in the 1840s it's really interesting i think you guys are really gonna like it it's um i don't really know how much to say it's 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 sort of in the uh like the, the witch area of films oh, it's very really cool. it's really cool it's really cool yeah any news on potential release date or anything like that that you know of at this time i don't i don't we just uh we finished that in december uh and that's with um Sorry, my cat is crawling all over. Um, <laughs> it stars uh, Isabel Furman. And um, yeah, we shot it in, in New York, upstate New York in December. So I'm, I'm not sure when it's, when it's coming out. I got to talk to the director about that. But uh, yeah, it's a really interesting project. Very cool. We are so stoked to see it, man. Well, Rory, thank you so much for your time, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for hearing me out. No, it's been an honor. That was a Boo Crew Podcast, episode 161. Special thanks to our guest, Rory Culkin. Check out Sam Raimi's 50 States of Fright episodes exclusively on Quibi now, including the new tales starring Rory Culkin and Lulu Wilson, 13 Steps to Hell. Sign up for a 14-day trial free over at Quibi.com. That's Q-U-I-B-I.com. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet scream. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. 